Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our pastor of student ministries, Dave Cox. And it's entitled, Responsible Freedom. I want you to think back. How many of you in here can drive? Most of you, right? Um, Some of you have been driving for longer than you'll want to admit. But I want you to kind of rewind in your mind. Think back to the very first car that you drove. Do you remember that? Uh, First car that you had. Um, I was 16. I remember, uh, I remember the day very clearly. I did not wait to get my license. As soon as I could get it, I remember going through, uh, passed the test, got it. And I remember um, the chance, just having the keys and getting in the car. And for the very first time, nobody else in the car, I got to take my solo drive. You remember that experience? It is unreal. Uh, I remember driving, uh, windows rolled down, being able to let the wind blow through your hair, the music is blasting, and freedom to go wherever I want to go. That was pretty amazing. I loved that. Um, I remember when I got my keys. Uh, for me, that was an amazing day. For my parents, that was a very scary day. This <laughs> is uh, kind of the way it works. And I soon realized, you know, it's kind of scary when you get some freedom. The more freedom you get, there, it can be a little bit scary. Uh, I realized that there's huge responsibility that comes with freedom. Um, I realized that the day I was heading into the Balboa Basin. Do you know that hill? Um, there's this gnarly, it's got to be the worst hill in the valley. It's this real gnarly little sharp hill, and it goes over into the Balboa Basin right off of Sepulveda. Well, I remember on my, you know, driving in the most amazing car in the world, it was a baby blue 69 VW Bug, unreal, uh, driving that VW Bug over that hill off Sepulveda, and the light turned red, so I had to stop on the incline. Just the worst thing that could have ever happened. Now, I thought I was pretty good at stick shift. I thought I was pretty good at stick shift. Uh, I remember I kept stalling out. It was freaking me out. We went through, like, two light cycles. And, you know, I thank the Lord for that e-brake. I, I really did. And the sudden realization that I was in third gear and not first gear. Uh, I think the guy behind me was thanking God, too. He was definitely saying something. Uh, <laughs> I think he was charismatic. His hands would not stop moving. So I don't know. Um, But I remember getting over that hill. But it's just, I I began to feel, there's some responsibility with this too. Um, And I I realized that that freedom has limits also. Trust me, the cop told me that when I got my first ticket. Uh, With freedom comes huge responsibility. Have you ever realized that, experienced that? And it really applies almost uh, every area of our life. With freedom comes huge responsibility. It doesn't matter if you're a kid. It doesn't matter if you're an employee. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a brand new driver. You know, with freedom, you're going to experience the need to have huge responsibility. Now, today, is one thing we're going to focus on is the fact that um, freedom means you have choices. Uh, the way God set up our Christian life is that you and I get to make a lot of choices. We have a lot of freedom in a lot of different areas. Now, um, again, this is, it can get a little bit scary because with that freedom, we are also responsible and accountable to God for those actions. But the heart of God is that we're a free people. John eight thirty six. you remember that one? If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. There's another one, Galatians 5, 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourselves become burdened again By a yoke of slavery. Don't become bondage to things that you don't need to be in bondage to. There's a heart for freedom. And it's a big deal for God. That's why when Jesus came, he instituted a whole new way of relating to God. Out with the old Levitical laws. 
in with a new way of relating to God. You don't need to go through sacrifices, priests. You get to go directly. In fact, your very body is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful thing. A whole new way of relating to God and new freedoms that came with it. Um, but with this freedom came a lot more freedom of choice. Um, now, the, the question that we're going to begin focusing on today is, a lot of us, it's kind of easy to begin making decisions when, when it's clearly laid out in the Bible. Oh, this is right? This is wrong. Uh, we can do this. The Bible says don't do that. But have you realized there's a lot of areas that are just not covered in the Bible, right? There's a lot. And so the question that we wrestle with is, you know, if it's not clearly laid out in the Bible, we're not sure exactly what God's saying. Like, how in the world do you know what you should choose to do? How do you know what to do in a morally neutral area of your life? How do you know what to choose? That's a great question. Um, as we look at this thing, you're going to realize that time, place, and circumstance plays a big deal in this, the whole makeup of this question. But from the top, just know that there's two extremes we could fall into on this message. One extreme uh, could be uh, like some churches that will actually pass out lists. You can't do this, you can't do that, uh, you can't drink, you can't smoke, can't see rated our movies, can't play cards, you can't do whatever. And they say that's for all people in all circumstances. There's some extreme. Other extreme. No, no, we've got ultimate freedom. In fact, I was recently reading, there's a church that believes that we have ultimate freedom, and in their services, they choose to serve beer and wine during all their church services because they have ultimate freedom. Now, there's extremes in there. It's crazy. So, you know, what do you do about those neutral things that are not clear-cut? Now, the Bible speaks directly about this. Um, it's in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be taking a look at it today. But let me give you a quick snapshot of the debate. The debate back then, uh, it will not be in your top 100 dilemmas of your life, trust me. It was a debate, a debate over eating uh, meat, and specifically meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Now, in the city of Corinth, let me just give you a, a real little picture into what their world was like. Um, the Romans, the Greeks, they were polytheistic. just means they believed in many gods. And with that, so they really had a god, a god of travel, a god of war, a goddess of love, and it goes on and on and on. So they have all these gods, but they were also demonistic. They believed that demons filled the air and were constantly trying to get inside our bodies. And the demons were sneaky. That little trick. that these, They believed that the demons would attach themselves to meat. So when you ate meat, ah, you got a demon. They're sneaky. And so this was a huge prevailing belief that was going on. So what they would do um, in these uh, pagan temples, they would take this meat and they would make a sacrifice to one of these gods. Believing then that this meat is now cleansed, it's good to eat, no more demons. And they would get so many sacrifices, and what they would do with it, part of the sacrifice, part of it would go towards the sacrifice, be burnt. Part of it um, was uh, given for payment to the priest. But then there's this third portion uh, that the priest, they, they could never eat all that meat. So what they did with it, they would sell it. And there was this, the marketplace, this is where people bought their meat from these priests who didn't use it after... You know, there's just so much meat floating around, they would sell it. And it was considered premium meat because it didn't have demons. So, can you imagine, I bet parents love that. No, kids, we can't go to McDonald's. It has a demon in the burger. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but this is kind of what was going on back then. Now, you're saying, well, what's the big dilemma? Well, the dilemma is, if you're a Christian, are you allowed to eat that meat that was offered in a sacrifice to a pagan idol? 
And they'd say, oh, well, some of, some of these times, they actually had these parties in the temple. They had like banquet rooms, have parties. Someone do a wedding, uh, someone have a whatever, birthday party, who knows, whatever parties. But they'd have parties and they'd serve this meat. Well, as you as a Christian, can you go and eat that meat? Well, what, ha- what if you go, someone invites you to their home? They're not a believer. And all of a sudden, they drop the plate in front of you and it's meat again. And you know, it's, it's been probably sacrificed to that idol. Well, can you eat that meat? In the presence of that unbeliever? Does that mean you're participating in a pagan ritual? That you're affirming that those gods are real? That this meat's now okay to eat? There's a big dilemma. Do you see how the dilemma starts painting up? Um, and also, just in the marketplace, can you yourself buy that meat that's sitting there? It's good meat. Can you buy it? Those are the three dilemmas that they'd wrestle with. So this is where Paul kicks in. It's in about, it, he talks about this problem in chapters 8 through 10. We're not going to cover everything he talks about, but we are going to sn- take a quick look at it because he's going to lay out principles that are going to apply for us when we have a question that, you know, the Bible doesn't speak directly on. It's like morally neutral. I don't know if it's right or wrong. What do you do? Great principles. We're going to see it. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and we're going to jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> Okay, here we go. It says, now about food sacrificed to idols. And he says, well, we know that we all possess knowledge. Uh, right there, you know how uh, Pastor Mike was saying they have these little slogans in that city? Well, this is one of the slogans of the Christians. Well, we all have knowledge. Uh, it's, a, it's a little, you ever see Dana Carvey, uh, Church Lady, the old Saturday Night Live Church Lady? Huh. Well, we're just a little bit superior. That's the mentality of these Corinthians. Well, we're just a little superior. We have knowledge. Where those other weak Christians think we can eat the, they can't eat this meat, but we're a little bit superior because we possess knowledge. Well, right off the bat, Paul's going to nail that attitude. Um, these are the kind of people you'd love to slap. But Paul doesn't slap them. He gives them a little verbal slap. Look at how it reads on. It says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something doesn't yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. He's basically saying, hey, listen, you've got some solid doctrine, um, but you're weak in a big area. You have the right knowledge. There's nothing wrong with that meat. But you're failing the test of maturity. What's the test of maturity? Can you love your brother and sister? You're failing that. Um, Paul's not saying that knowledge in itself is bad over and over in the Bible. That's affirmed. Um, Even the Lord said to Israel, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So this scripture at face value is like, well, you don't need knowledge. No, it's not saying that. He's saying that their knowledge is is standing alone outside of love, and that's what's bad. Read on. Verse 4, it says, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. See, right here he's saying, listen, I agree with your doctrine. That stone, wood, uh, it's not real. You've got that right on. Um, it reminds me of that Hindu temple. I, have you ever seen that off Las Virginis? There's that temple. Well, I stopped and went in there. I had to check it out. And I remember checking this thing out, and they were bringing food sacrifices to all their little gods in there. And it's one of those places you wish you could just stand and say, guys, it's not real. Uh, that's a waste of a good apple. Uh, you don't need to be doing this. There's really only one God. You don't need it. And it was a, a picture like that. They'd have all these gods. And Paul's saying, you've got it. There is only one God. Your knowledge is right. Then he goes on. For e- verse 5. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father. 
from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there's but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. He's saying, listen, there is a big difference between Christianity and other religions. They're polytheistic. Christianity is monotheistic, one God. Some places are henotheistic. They believe in many gods but only worship one. That's Mormonism. He's saying, no, we are we are monotheistic. We believe in one God. Just like in the Old Testament, hero Israel, there is only, he emphasizes, there is one God, period. So he affirms that. Verse 7, he says, but not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as have been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. Well, what's he saying? Paul's just saying, hey, listen. Some of these Christians don't know all this stuff yet. They're not sure if it's really okay. Um, and their conscience is weak. They're going to go into a house. Someone drops a piece of meat in front of them. They've got this moral dilemma. And everything inside of them is screaming, no, don't even think of eating that. And, and he, he's kind of laying this thing out. Um, because that meat represented an old lifestyle. It re- represented everything they've walked away from. And they're afraid that if they ate that, they're agreeing with that old lifestyle. And for them, it was sin. Now, it says, hey, they had a defiled... Um, it says that their conscience can become defiled. What's that mean? Well, if you ignore or violate what your conscience is saying, it's a way of defiling it. Um, for willingly doing what you know, in your, like at least in your perception, is wrong, you defile that. Verse 8 says, But food doesn't bring us near to God. We're no worse if we don't eat or no better if we do eat. This whole word is like bringing beside. He's not saying if you eat this meat, you're now closer to God. If you don't eat the meat, you're not closer to God. It doesn't matter if you eat the meat or don't eat the meat. You know, that's where he's kind of going into. The point is, um, things that are not strictly forbidden or commanded, there's no significance in them. They're not going to draw you closer to God or farther away from God in and of themselves. You could be a vegetarian, you could be a vegan, or you can have a big juicy steak. Doesn't matter. Enjoy yourself. Then he goes on. Verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom doesn't become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? Again, what he's saying is the act of eating that meat is not wrong in and of itself, but it is wrong if there's someone there that thinks it is wrong. Now, you're contributing to that person's sin, and for you it's wrong. He says you've got to be really careful. Stumbling block, what this means is any action, any deed that's going to cause someone else to trip up and do something that in their spirit thinks they, that they think is wrong. So we have a huge responsibility of not being a stumbling block. Verse 11 says, So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Um, what this is called is a conditional absolute. What's a conditional absolute? It just means in certain conditions, it's absolutely wrong. Other than that, you're free. You can, like he's saying, you could eat this meat any time unless there's somebody here who thinks that, and somebody here who has an issue with it. Now, in that circumstance, it's absolutely wrong because you're raising an issue for him. 
and it could lead them into sin. He says, just be careful with that. He, he says, you can even destroy them. Well, this isn't obviously losing their salvation. We know that by the very next verse. In fact, what it's saying, the word literally means striking, vigorous blows, beating their conscience. You significantly can wound somebody who's weak. You know, someone who's wrestling, I don't know if I should do this or not. I'll just do it. I don't think so. I don't, just do it. You're destroying their conscience. He says, be careful. Um, this just also goes to say that there's really no place for us just to demand our rights as Christians. He ends this thing by saying, verse 13, therefore, if I eat what causes my brother to fall into sin, um, I'll never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. He's saying, if that's what it's, I'm just not going to do it. He's really emphasizing being careful. I want to give you two quick timeless principles that we can use to start applying this. Um, if you have your outline, you can follow along in there. Two things from this passage. Number one, what's okay for one Christian is not necessarily okay for another Christian. Do you get that? What's okay for one Christian isn't necessarily okay for another Christian. If everybody else feels like, oh yeah, we can do this, there's nothing in the Bible you can find, but everything inside of you is screaming, no, don't do it. For you, it's no. The reverse can be true. You're like, no, there's no problem with that. There's no problem with that movie or that thing, whatever it is. But someone else is like, no, there's this, I can't. Well, then for that person, it's no. Just know, and that varies from person to person. The whole idea of conscience, the word's used 32 times in the New Testament. Um, the, the idea of a conscience is an internal court where actions are either judged right or wrong, and it's based off God's moral law. And I, I guess the best way to paint it, it's like a doorkeeper. Your conscience is God's doorkeeper that's going to allow you to do things and go places, experience things that he feels is safe and appropriate at the time in your life. There's sometimes he's going to keep that door shut. To protect you uh, till you're spiritually stronger or have better judgment, whatever the case may be. But whatever it is, God knows that, and that's why He gives it to us. In Romans 14 14, listen to this verse. It says, I know and am perfectly sure on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. See how he's emphasizing that again? If someone believes something's wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. That's what he's really emphasizing. Um, you ever had a small kid? Um, would you really give your child to a babysitter who lets the children play with knives? What? You don't, of course not. Why? Because little kids, you don't hand them an electrical appliance, a knife. You know, as they get older, they get a little bit more freedom. Okay, yes, you can use a knife. You can try and cut this. Pretty soon, you don't worry if they're picking up a knife to cut food or do something or use an appliance. As they get older, they experience more freedom. In the same way, as we grow older and with the Lord, you may experience more freedoms in your life than you did before. That may change based on what you're experiencing in your conscience. You know, the idea is this. Don't push yourself to do something before the Lord's telling you that it's okay. The idea is be a good listener to your conscience. Second principle. Christians have freedom in morally neutral areas, but love limits freedom. You've got freedom if it's not specifically um, banned in Scripture, um, commanded in Scripture. You have freedom. But there's one thing that will limit your freedom, 
and that's love. What do we mean by that? Um, you ever been driving along and you've seen someone jaywalking? Isn't that irritating sometimes? Oh, you know, they have no regard. It's like they don't care if cars are coming. like, you know, I, I just hate that. But now, you could, you could pretend you're ignorant and plow them over. Uh, you could do that. But, you know, there's something within you that has some rationality and a, a, a small bit of passion for this person who's totally disregarding everything. And you slow down. You're willingly sacrificing your right of way so that you don't hurt somebody else. You're right, they're wrong, but you're going to defer to their, you're going to defer your freedom of action to them so you don't hurt them. You get that? In the same way in the Christian life, you're going to be doing that as well. Love will limit your freedom. Um, Matthew chapter 18, it's a great scripture. See, the problem the Corinthians had, they were arrogant people. They're like, well, we know it's not a big deal. We're going to do it anyway. Forget these people who have this hang-up of meat. Big deal. Uh, and, Ma- and Jesus says in Matthew 18, listen, it would be better to drown than offend a child of God. Remember that one, tie a millstone around their neck? Don't do that. Be careful. Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects of him. We're to grow in our love. That means even if it causes us to say no to something that we'd normally do, but we'd say no because this person's here. Um, Romans fourteen fifteen. And if another Christian is distressed by what you eat, that's the one. Don't let your eating ruin someone. So the idea is this. You might have enough knowledge to know that's really not a bad thing. Uh, for you, it's a bad thing. But if you're strong in that sense, you can have a really strong ministry to the weak by saying, listen, hey, we don't need to do that. You're going to help them honor their conscience and they will grow to become strong. You don't need to make an issue out of it. By saying, we're going to do it anyway because it's okay. Love limits freedom. Don't make him damage his conscience or her. So those are, those are the two big principles. Now, if you have your Bible, for, turn to 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to take another quick snapshot of the passage that, that Phineas is on. Now, the only thing you've got to catch right now, the only thing Paul says, the absolute thing you can't do with this meat, if they're doing an actual worship ceremony, a pagan worship ceremony where they're serving meat, all right, do not go to that. But you can, you know, then he's going to address, can you eat meat in the home? Can you buy meat at the market? Can you go to someone's house and eat meat? He's going to address that directly. He says, verse 23, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Everything's permissible, but not everything is constructive. Verse 24, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. He's saying everything's permissible, i.e. anything that's not clearly laid out in the Bible, you're okay. Don't freak out. Um, Neutral things. But he's also saying it's not okay at all times. There are certain times or places where it's not going to be okay. Now he's going to go on to the specific issues. Eating, buying meat in the market, eating in a friend's home. Verse 25. Eat anything sold in the market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's saying go to the market. Buy the meat. You don't have to stand in the, in the grocery store and look around like, uh-oh, am I offending somebody? I don't know. Go get your meat. You're fine. Don't be over-paranoid on this thing where you're freaking out about every decision. If your conscience is okay, you're good, you know that meat's not an issue, buy it. So don't be overly paranoid on it. So he's, he's going there. So your first concern is for other people, but there's balance. Just because someone else may have an issue with something, it doesn't necessarily mean that in your private life, you have to ban that for all time. It just means you've got to be aware of who's around you. Um, so he's saying, enjoy it, but don't flaunt it. Verse 27, 
If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So you're allowed to go to a friend's house. They're going to serve this meat. Go, eat it. You're totally free. You don't have to wonder, is this an issue? Well, if they're serving it to you. It's obviously not an issue for them. But he says there's one time it's going to be wrong, a circumstance. Verse 28, but if anyone says to you, well, this has been offered in sacrifice, then he says, don't eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, the other man's conscience. I mean, not yours. Do you see how he's emphasizing, don't make them go against their own conscience. In that case, you push that away and you're going to eat veggies that night. Now, it's really interesting to me, who's the priority to be sensitive to? The guest, the host, I mean, or the other Christian? The non-Christian or the Christian? Paul says it's even more important for you to be sensitive to your Christian brother or sister and risk offending the host. There's a great scripture. They know we are Christians by our love for one another. It's a big deal. Now, um, Paul goes back. He's going to restate his original line of thought. He defends freedom again. Take a look at this. Now he goes back to this point. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? Verse 30, if I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? He's saying, now also, you still have freedom. Do you see how it goes between freedom, balance, freedom, balance? Now he goes back in verse uh, 31. He's going to be emphasizing restraint. And he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't cause anyone to stumble whether Jews, Greeks, the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I'm not saved, uh, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. I follow my example, or follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I'll just sum it up. As you live your life, you've got to be the most loving person. You don't want to be offensive to another believer. You don't ever want to do something that's going to cause somebody to say, if that's a Christian, I don't want any part of it. You've got to be sensitive. Um, same time, you have freedom. Um, now, let's make this really practical for you guys and for me. I'm going to give you a few questions that are right from these scriptures. You know, if you're wrestling with a decision, I don't know if I should do this or not do this. Is this okay or not okay? Here's going to be four quick questions you can ask yourself. This is going to be your litmus test that you can use. And these are right from scriptures. What should you ask when there's no clear right or wrong? Well, here's one. Number one, is it helpful? Is it helpful? Um, you know, before this, the first question is always, is it biblical? Is it right? You know, that's assumed at this point already. A lot of people, you know, violate that one right off the bat. We're assuming that. So if you say, oh, I'm not going to forgive that person. Well, that's not biblical. Uh, you say, well, God wants me to be happy. I'm going to leave my wife. Oh, really? Uh, if that's your real reason for leaving your wife, that is not biblical. So you can't cop out on things and say, you know, this is morally neutral. No, it's not. We're going to the ones that are genuinely morally neutral. And the first question is, is it helpful? Is it profitable? Is it going to build you or the other people up? That's where he said everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. He even says it's not even constructive. If you flipped back a few chapters, he's restating a verse in chapter 6, verse 12, and, he, and that one says everything's permissible, but he also says don't be mastered by anything though. So be careful in your freedom. So he's, he's saying this. In life, some things aren't necessarily wrong, 
They just aren't necessary. You get that? They aren't necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. For example, you could spend 168 hours a week watching TV. Is that wrong? Okay. Is that wise? <laughs> could you do it? I don't know. Um, is that really wrong? Well, it's, it's definitely a waste of time. You know, there's nothing, there's not a specific verse in the Bible. Uh, but you're going to, you know, the one thing you can never get back, you can always make more money, but you can never get your time back. So is really that wise? The idea, there's an idea behind this for a personal thing. Is it helpful? Is focus in your life. You can't do everything. We have lights shining on me in here. Those lights are diffused. They're spread out. But if you would focus those lights, they become like a laser beam. They can even make those beams that cut steel. The idea that the more focus you have in life, the more helpful and beneficial your life's going to be. Here's an idea of a personal application. Is it helpful? Is it really helping me go where I want to go? You get that? There's also a broader context for other people too. You know, is it helpful to the people around you? Verse 24 says, no one should seek his own good, but the good of others. Question number one, is it helpful? Question number two, is it harmful to other people? Listen to this verse. Romans 14, 12 and 13. Each of us will give an account of, of himself to God. So try to live in such a way that you'll never make your brother stumble by letting you, letting him see you do something he thinks is wrong. Isn't that a powerful scripture? Don't do something that he even thinks is wrong. Be careful with that stuff. Um, like it or not, as a Christian, people are watching you. The camera is always rolling. The lights are on. They're watching it. And he says, don't do one of two things. Number one, don't ever cause another Christian to violate his or her own conscience and cause them to even revert back to an old lifestyle. Don't ever do that. Number two, don't ever cause an unbeliever to say, I don't want to be a Christian because they're like that. Don't do those two things. That's harmful. Um, you have to ask questions like, how is this going to affect my kids? What are my neighbors going to perceive if I do this? How are my friends going to be reading this whole thing if I jump and start doing this? You've got to ask that question. I'll give you an example uh, in my life. Before I was married, my wife, her name is Chrissy. Chrissy and I, as we were dating, she would come over to the house and we'd hang out and um, whatever. She'd be hanging out at night. Well, sometimes she'd get really tired and she'd have a 30-minute drive back to her place. Well, she's tired, you know. How safe is that for her to be on the road? The question is, well, can she spend the night at the house and is that okay? Is there anything wrong in the Bible with that? No. Were we struggling physically uh, with purity? No, we were okay. We even had roommates at the house. There's other people there. Not a big deal. Uh, but is that really wise? You know, if she's, you know, we really thought through, well, what message are we communicating? If, if one of the students in a youth group drives by and they, they see this car there all through the night, well, what message, unintended message am I sending? What unintended message am I sending to my neighbors? So we chose never to do it. We didn't want to send an unintended message. So like it or not, you're tired, we drove. If I had to stay on the phone with her to get her home, I'd stay on the phone or vice versa. That's just the way we did it. Because we, we knew that it could be harmful for someone else. Um, you know, in life, some people will be offended by the gospel. Well, that's their problem in a real sense. But in life, some people will be unnecessarily offended by our actions. And that's wrong. So that's where we have to be really careful. Do you know the word they use in 1 Corinthians 10.32? Aproscopos. It means give no offense. Another way of saying that is be blameless. I.e., don't give them a reason to blame you. That's that whole idea. If you live way above reproach, it's a big deal. You know, let me give some practical examples. 
What's, a, what's some real examples for our day? Drinking, right? Issue in our life. Well, can Christians drink? Can they not drink? Well, it's a big thing. You know, in the New Testament, they drank wine, right? What's Jesus' first miracle? He changed water into the best-tasting wine at the wedding. Unreal story. Uh, Paul even tells Timothy, go take a little bit of wine. Sometimes the water wasn't good to drink. They literally had to drink wine or use it for medicinal purposes. So, you know, and in the Bible, there's only two reasons, two scriptures that apply to drinking. Number one, don't get drunk. Number two, don't ever cause someone else to stumble. Now, we live in a culture where alcoholism is, or alcohol is probably one of the most misused um, abuses in our society. You know, I was doing some research on this, and there's some studies that go up to one in nine people either battle with binge drinking or alcoholism. It's just a battle. Do you realize that in a room like this, that means there could be 30 to 50 people in here that deal with this? Do you realize that even as a church, when we serve communion, we use grape juice? Now, why do we do that? We could use wine. But imagine if someone who's been dry for five years, they want to come and get close to God, Woo! they take some of that, and all of a sudden they fall off the wagon. Now, honestly, are we really being a service to them as a church? So we've chosen to limit our freedom for the benefit of other people. We've chosen to do that. That just means, you know, as you, as you go through this in life, some societies, this isn't an issue at all. But for us, it's a real thing. There's probably certain places, times, that it's not a big deal at all. But depending on who's around, you may, choose to, you may need to limit your freedom. Be wise. Be wise. Not, there's no blanket statements but be wise. Follow the principles Paul's putting out here. Uh, here's another one. How about uh, certain movies, uh, TV shows, novels? Well, you're not going to find anything in the Bible that's addressing all those things. Um, for one Christian, it might be okay. Another Christian's like, nope, can't do that. Um, well, you know, it, it's as simple as this. I remember we, we do these 24 parties at my house sometimes. We watch you know, the show 24. I love that show. Um, waiting for next season. But we'll do these things. And there's even been times... Uh, some, some commercial comes on, like a Victoria's Secret commercial. It just gets awkward in the room real fast. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, ha, ha. You know, what do we do? And so, hey, we make the joke about it. Hey, let's turn the channel. You know, we just switch the channel. Well, you know, we're just trying. Is that, there may be nothing in, wrong in and of that commercial itself. We're not saying that commercial is necessarily wrong. But is it fair to say that there's probably someone that could have a real legitimate struggle with that? Absolutely. You know, if you're, if you're hanging out, you're watching a movie or something, and, you know, someone just sitting there and they just go, I just don't know about this one. I, I don't feel right about it. What are they saying? If you're noticing someone just keeps looking away, they're just, they won't watch. You're not fast forwarding. You're not trying to get past that. What are you communicating? I remember being at a bachelor party and uh, they chose to go to a show. They're watching a movie. I had actually nothing... There's no check in my spirit about this movie. I was absolutely fine with it. A um, bunch of people watching the movie. The guy next to me goes, he goes, I don't know about this movie, man. I'm like, really? You're feeling that? He goes, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I just don't feel right about it. I said, well, let's go. They got video games in the lobby. So he and I, we didn't make an issue out of it, but I just took him out there. We played video games so the rest of the guys came out. It was never a big issue, but I tried to honor that guy's conscience because for him, it was wrong. Do you see how it kind of plays out in life? Um, what about music? Music evokes a lot of emotion. Um, it can bring you back instantly to a place you used to be. Um, it quickly can remind people of an old lifestyle and bring back old temptations quickly. Now, the music in itself may not be wrong. It just means be wise when you choose what you listen to. Um, you know, 
in youth ministry. We don't just say, hey, you have free reign of the radio. We don't just turn that over to students. Um, it's a bigger deal. We just want to be sensitive to people around us. Um, it could be a zillion things. Places you can go on the internet. Um, what are you modeling to your kids? Uh, what about going to a bar? Can a Christian just go to a bar? Well, there's nothing wrong in Scripture. It doesn't say you can't do this. Jesus got criticized for going and hanging out with sinners. So in and of itself, there's nothing wrong in that. Uh, what if this is where your buddies all will hang out? They go and they finally one night they say, hey, would you come and hang out with us tonight? Uh, working as a cop, I've had people invite me and do that. Um, is that wrong to go? Well, no, not necess- necessarily. For you, it might be if your conscience has a check, but it may be the only place you can spend time with them. What if it's, oh, I got to go, you know, you're depressed, you want to go hang out. Well, not wise. <laughs> what if there's a chance that someone else there is really battling or struggling with this stuff? Not wise. You just got to be so careful. That's the mentality with Paul. You know, there's no circumstance that we can just lay blanket issues, blanket statements for all this stuff, but you know the principles. So the idea is you just have to use your brain and listen to what God is saying if it's not clearly laid out in the Bible. And the whole motive is to make sure you honor those whose consciences are being violated. Does that make sense? Time, place, motive, huge in determining these. Make sense? Good. Let's do two more real quick. Number three, third question, is your conscience clear? Is your conscience clear? Um, Is there a check in your spirit? Um, What's God telling you to consider? Um, It could even be this. Maybe it used to be okay, but now you're not feeling it's okay anymore. No, God does that sometimes. Not necessarily getting more freedoms. Sometimes as you mature, you feel like you're getting less freedom in certain areas. Well, listen to that. Is your conscience clear? 1 Peter 2.16 says, live as free men, but don't do this. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. The whole idea of this word cover-up is making excuses. You're rationalizing. What's another way of saying rationalize? You're making up rational lies for your mind to believe what your heart is saying no to. Is that making sense? So you try and play these little mental games to try and get around it. So just know that. Is your conscience clear? Number four, last question, is it a good model? Is it a good model? Isn't it interesting how Paul ends his whole section? He says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know, he was not legalistic. He enjoyed freedom. Um, He was always aware that his life was modeling something to somebody else. Can somebody else follow your example is the question. Can you say, you know, in these areas, just watch how I do this. Can you, that's what Paul's really pointing to. And let me just say, um, we need more people like this in the business world. We need more leaders who will do this with other people around them. We need more moms and dads who are really aware of this in there. I want to give one final word with this whole topic. Um, it's a word on balance, and here's what it is. It, it, avoid the extremes of legalism and license. Legalism and license. What is that stuff? Well, what's legalism? Legalism is this thing that believes that every act, habit, type of behavior is really generally, it's either right or it's wrong. And they can, they'll make a rule for all times and all circumstances. They'll even say that if you do these, you're going to be close to God. So they emphasize rules over relationships. And that's what Jesus dealt with all the time. Pharisees, these religious leaders running around thinking these rules get you close to God, but they're devoid of relationship. 
That's one extreme. Making blanket statements for all times and all places, for all people, that's legalism. And Paul says, you've got to be so careful not to fall into that camp. Be really careful. It's, so it's this. So if somebody just dislikes what you're doing, that doesn't always necessarily mean you have to stop doing that. Jesus himself couldn't even live up to that. He was constantly criticized. So it's not saying anytime there's a criticism, you just got to be wise. Are you causing someone to violate their conscience? Just be wise on that. Um, means parents, you could get too rigid on this. I've seen that. And it could even make your kids push and rebel as they get older if they have never had a chance to expand their own freedoms. Got to be careful. What's the other side? The other side is license. License is the opposite extreme. They value their freedom so much that if you challenge it or you say that there's a place you have to limit it, well, the freedom becomes their God and they take personal offense to that. They hold on to that. Um, So it's an equal rigidity, but in the opposite direction. Almost everything's acceptable at all times if it's not clearly laid out in in the scriptures. And the biggest thing behind license can come this really critical, biting attitude. If you're ever curious what God says about it, Romans 14 addresses that specifically in that whole chapter. If you're condescending, in your mind you're like, oh, that person's prude. They're too conservative. What's the matter with them? What's going on? There's an attitude behind that that's absolutely condemned, and that's the attitude that people had in 1 Corinthians that Paul challenged on. So what are we going for? We're going for balance. Um, it is possible to be oversensitive. It's possible to be too free. I guess here's a picture to paint for you guys. Um, I want you to imagine a river that's flowing. The river represents freedom. On one bank is legalism. The other bank is license, absolute freedom. This river of God's freedom is not just a straight river. It will curve and go different places depending on time, place, and circumstances, who's around. So sometimes your freedoms feel more free, sometimes they feel more limited, but you're always aware because you're in tune with the Lord. But if you stand on one bank or the other bank and believe that you're really in the flow of God, you're not. And that's what Paul's trying to say, and that's what the Lord is saying. Just be balanced people that live with the deepest love for the people around them. That's his biggest heart. You ever child-proofed your home? Had to limit yourself? Is that convenient? No. Sometimes it's such a pain. But a true test of maturity is if you can love people enough to limit yourself in certain circumstances and make them feel okay about it. That's a big deal, and that's love. And you'll glorify God. Bow to your heads. Let's pray. Two quick questions for you. Number one. Have you been tempted to ban something for all people, all circumstances, that's really a neutral thing that the Bible speaks nothing of? Okay, check yourself on that. Second question, what have you been willing to give up for the sake of other people? If you're having a hard time answering that question, uh, you may be having a hard time with this whole scripture, and you'll want to think real closely about it. Let me just pray for us. Father, we thank you that, Jesus, you came, you died, and you rose to give us freedom in life. And uh, we want to be obedient people, Lord. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit, our conscience. Help us to learn this as a church. Um, We don't want to have arrogant attitudes one way or the other, legalistic or 
total license. We want to be people who walk with balance. And Father, we want to be such a bright witness to the other believers in this church, but also to the world we live in. So we need your help, we need your guidance, and we want to glorify you more than anything. And we pray it in your name. Amen. Well, before you guys take off, just remember, freedom can be a dangerous thing. It can be dangerous to hand the keys to your car to your kids, uh, your spouse, your credit card. I don't know. Freedom can be a dangerous thing. But remember, freedom requires responsibility. It's kind of like dynamite. If you mishandle it, you could really hurt people. That's what Paul says. Be so careful about. That's what the Lord is looking for in our hearts, attitudes. Uh, Is it helpful? Is it harmful? Is your conscience clear? And what kind of model are you being? Four questions for you. We're going to end it with a quote from St. Augustine. He said it like this. In the essentials we have unity. In the non-essentials we have liberty. But in all things we have charity, which means love. Greater concern for our brothers and the world than anything else. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.